Welcome to the Vermilion High School Historical Society, a podcast about certain historical elements of Vermilion, South Dakota. I'm today's host, Andrew Kronizel. Today I have with me Tyler DeVelder and Mason Schroeder. Imagine for a moment you're in a Buddhist temple in Thailand in the 19th century. You wake up, and to start your daily activities, a drum sounds. It's a large drum weighing 1,000 pounds and 10 feet long. This is the goblet drum. This is also the first thing you see when you walk in to the National Music Museum. The National Music Museum is a hidden gem of the University of South Dakota's campus. It's one of the largest museums for instruments in the whole hemisphere. Since its foundation, the museum has been a pinnacle of culture for Vermilion, South Dakota, and it's surprising that as many people as there are don't know about it. Today, we will talk about its impact on Vermilion, the university, and people all over the world. So all of us have lived in Vermilion for at least a couple years. Uh, I know Mason has lived here since his sophomore year, but Tyler and I have lived here, I know, from at least for me, my whole life. You and me too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, throughout our lives, we've all been exposed to the National Music Museum and the culture it brings to Vermilion, and you two can testify. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I used to actually go to a summer camp at the Music Museum every year, and I actually got to the point where I had been to the Music Museum so many times that I just got sick of it. Now that I think of it, like. I, I feel weird feeling that way because the music museum's really cool, but just as a kid, I had gotten so tired of it, and I knew the stories of all of the instruments in there, and they were great stories, but I just kept hearing them over and over. So that's kind of my experience with the museum. Mason, what about yours? So, obviously, like Andrew said, I haven't lived here my whole life like these guys, so there's never really been a, oh, I've gotten super bored of it, or something like that. But it was really cool to just go in there and look at all the instruments, instruments I didn't know existed, instruments that had all these stories that you never would know anywhere else. And it is, like Andrew said, it's one of those places that it's just such a hidden gem. Most people aren't going to know about the National Music Museum. Most people will live their entire lives just fine without going to it. And back in Minnesota where I used to live, I didn't know it existed, and I probably would have lived my whole life just fine without it. But knowing that it exists and going to it is definitely something that's a really cool experience, and you have to experience for yourself. You can't just listen to something about it or anything like that. You actually need to go. So I'm going to give a brief history recap of the National Music Museum and how it came to be what it is today. So, the building that it is hosted in was originally created back in 1910 by Carnegie when he went around the country creating libraries everywhere. And it was the library of the university for decades, until 1973. In 1973, the Ivy Weeks Library was built, and Arnby Larson took over the Carnegie Library and created the National Music Museum. Arnby Larson was a collector of instruments that had an outstanding amount of instruments 
in his personal collection. And it was really generous of him to create a museum to put these into to let other people experience it. Since the 1970s, and after Arnby Larson's passing away, the museum has continued to grow, and more and more instruments have been added to its collection. And it's grown into the museum it is today, which is one of amazing heights, and it's just incredible how big it is. I had nothing. I think I think you just said it perfectly. It's amazing how big it is for such a small town. Yeah. So now that you know the history of the museum, I'm going to talk about some of the collections they have, at least the permanent collections throughout the museum. There are permanent collections and then some that come and go as other museums allow the National Music Museum to present the instruments they've been gifted. Uh, but I'm going to talk about some of the major collections and then Tyler and Mason if you have any questions or input because I'm guessing you've seen the major collections before if you have any input feel free to add it so once you walk in you're in the entrance hall where you see the drum as I mentioned earlier and where you pay if you're a person that has to pay after that you go straight and you come to the collections and the first collection you'll see is Abel, which is the pianos. But I'm gonna start at Rollins, which is violins, which is to the left of Abel. So Rollins is truly an incredible collection because it, it goes back centuries with some of their oldest pieces coming from the 1500s. And as you walk through the room, it's just, amazing to see the different variations in instruments from the violin family and how they progressed throughout the decades or rather the centuries one of the most amazing pieces at least in my opinion in the rollins collection is the violin cello also referred to as the king it's this beautiful cello that has an amazing design on the back and it's one of the first of its kinds hence the name violoncello and not just cello and it's actually the oldest bass instrument of the violin family have either of you guys yeah i actually remember this um this is one of the cellos that they would show me every year while i was at that camp there yeah it, it makes sense because it's a very it, yeah important it, it is a very cool story um and it's a very cool cello um and I, the the story is really amazing. Yeah, and I realize I did not say the date. It was created in 1547, which is nearly five centuries ago at this point, which is just incredible, at least in, in my opinion. Well, the fact that it stayed in such good condition for almost 500 years, I mean, you look at anything 500 years ago and most of it's turned to dust and you have something like that and it's just a beautiful piece of art. Yeah, it's amazing how well-preserved it's been kept over the years. As I mentioned earlier, if you're actually coming in from the front, the first collection you would encounter is the Abel collection, and it's connected to the Rollins collection through a door, so it doesn't really matter which way you enter, because you'll get to see both of the collections. But in the Abel collection are just 
a ton of pianos and it's amazing because you can see the progression of pianos from early harpsichords to magnificent organs that they have nowadays. One thing that's actually cool about the pianos is, of course, not a visitor can play them, but they are still playable. And um, a lot of the museum workers will actually like play them, you know, if you're on a tour or something. So that's really cool to see this really old piano and it's still able to be played and it still sounds amazing. I know one one piece that personally spoke out to me, and it could be for the reason you've mentioned before, is they have a very old chest organ, which is uh, it's a medium-sized box, I'd say probably like two feet wide by four feet long and maybe two feet tall, and there's pedals underneath it, and you would it's basically just like it was the almost the first of its kind. It was just harpsichord that you used pedals to play and i i've been on a tour of the museum before and one of the people from the museum has come out and played this chest organ and it's amazing because it was created in north germany around 1620 which is 400 years ago almost and that's it's just amazing how it's still in playable condition after that long of time. So if you're coming in through the main entrance of the Able Collection, that would be one of the first pieces you would see. But I prefer to go through Rollins and then go into Able. And if that's the way you go, one of the first pieces you would see is this huge towering organ made by Christian Diffenbach who had German ancestors, so it's very much German-inspired. And it's this magnificent organ. It's painted white, and the pipes are green with gold lining. And it was made in... It's not known for sure, but it was made sometime around 1800 to 1820. And it is three organs left by Christian Diffenbach. So after leaving the able collection you're back into the hallway which connects all the first floor collections collections and at least i'm not sure if it's a permanent item but at least temporarily they have a small stand that has two guitars on it and this is the beginning of the lillibridge collection and the guitar of the two the guitar that spoke out to me was the Bon Aqua, which is just this simple-looking acoustic guitar, and looking at it, you don't expect much of it. But if you read the story behind it, you find out that it's the guitar that Johnny Cash used when he would write music at his own house. He, it's the guitar he kept at his own house and would play when he was at his house, not on tour. And it's just amazing how simple the guitar is and how easy it is to miss but how important it is from there you can go into the actual room of the lillibridge collection and the lillibridge collection is dedicated solely to guitars it has guitars from their ancestors from when they were becoming since when they switched basically from lutes into guitars and then much more modern ones, some even electric. Before you walk into the room, you see a case, and there's a 
black shiny electric guitar and right next to it there's a small sign and it says bb king and lucille so lucille was a model of guitar and the famous musician bb king loved this instrument this model and throughout his life he had many different variations but they were all the lucille model and he at points he thinks that it saved his life because there was an account where a building was on fire and uh he ran back to get his guitar and in doing so he actually got out safely which is amazing and so in this case they have this lucille model guitar and next to it they have a ticket for a concert of bb king and if you look at the guitar you see it's signed by bb king and the story behind it is one member of the national music museum went to a bb king concert and had this lucille guitar knowing that bb king bb king loved lucille's and he brought it backstage and had bb king play it and sign it and so on the guitar there's his signature and beside it there's a picture of him just playing on it and it's so simple but yet really interesting all the history behind it and why that's the guitar he he wants and he's you he used his whole life I love B.B. King's music. I think it's great. If you don't know who B.B. King is, after you're done listening to this, go on to YouTube, go on to iTunes, wherever you go, and go just listen to a song. And I think you'll really like it. Um, it's just, it's great. And it's very sad. I know it's been, I think, a couple of years at this point, but it's very sad when he passed away, obviously. So the next part of the Little Bridge collection is a guitar workshop and it's an amazing recreation of what they would have looked like in the 1910s around through the 1930s in that kind of era and they just have the tools and wood that a guitar creator or manufacturer would use in creating guitars they have the bodies of guitars strings everything to just make a guitar yeah i remember that um in there too from all of my time in the music museum yeah it's really cool um it it looks just the whole thing the background um the floor everything just looks exactly like you would imagine it to look like they really paid attention to detail on that so after you leave the Lillibridge collection you walk out the door and you're back in the central hallway and on each end of the hallway are a set of stairs. And you can go up either side. But if you, depending on which side you go up, you'll that'll change what the next collection you see is. So going out, I, when I walk through, I leave the Little Bridge collection and then take a right and go up those stairs. And then you go to the second floor and right on your left is the BD collection. And the BD collection is a collection of instruments from East Asia and parts of Africa. And it's on a truly 
amazing collection. Yeah, this is probably um, my favorite room in the museum. There's just some really cool instruments in there and really cool uh, little things to like read about the instruments or hear from the tour guides. So in the middle of the room, there's this two-inch wooden platform. And on this platform is this beautiful, intricate, probably 100 pieces or more, Javanese gamelan. And what this is, is a percussion instrument, as well as almost like bells or a xylophone. There's aspects of that too. And it's just this multi-piece instrument laid out across probably, my guess is, 100 square feet. And there's so many seats to sit at and different places to be at it. And when you watch someone play it, it's amazing because it's usually a group of people and they'll sit at different parts of it and all being all be playing different instruments, but it's all one instrument. Uh, this was another thing that I did at that camp that I would go to all the time is there was one day where we would always get to play this instrument. And there was a song that we would learn. It was a pretty basic song, but everybody would get a different part. So some of us would be on, and I don't know the names of any of these instruments, but they were they looked almost like a pot turned upside down with a little um, thing sticking out of the top of it that you would hit. And that was one of the instruments. Um, there were also these other things, almost like a xylophone. And then there were the gongs. I always wanted to play the gongs because... You know, they were cool, um, but I, I never got to. Anyways, they were, uh, we would learn this song and just the whole camp would sit there and play this song together on one instrument. So that's clearly the biggest attraction of the BD collection. But as you, wa as you walk around the side of the room, there's so many more things that jump out at you that are almost as interesting as this gamelan, but for some reason are completely overshadowed by it. There's the walls are kind of separated into different regions. Like they have instruments from Africa. They have instruments from Tibet. They have instruments from Southeast Asia. And one that I just think is incredible and is just so easily overlooked is just this, metal can with a hole in it and a stick stuck into it and a string on it and it's just like a guitar and it's so simple and rudimentary yet it's so important that it's in a museum and it's just incredible how small that instrument may appear but how important it is in the history of music yeah uh when you first actually mentioned this room um i didn't think of the gamelan first i thought of that instrument because i remember that instrument being in there too and it's just a really cool thing to see in a museum that like among all of these other super fancy instruments there's this and it's still equally as important in the history of music it just kind of shows that you can make music with anything you don't have to have some specially tuned instrument. You can take some... A can. Yeah, you can take a can. A string. A string and make beautiful music. And there are other... There's almost a whole collection dedicated later to uh, folk instruments 
and basically very rudimentary instruments like that. So after leaving the BD collection, the next collection you would go to would be the Pressler collection. And there's a sign as you enter that kind of gives a brief summary of the collection and it's basically just instruments created by or for rich people. And that's that's basically the extent of it. It's just instruments that mainly rich people would own. And the one instrument that kind of stuck out to me in this room was the uh, house organ. And it was made by Josef Lusser from Switzerland. And it's just this old organ and it's not super there's nothing super special about it but it's just interesting how its story of just like it's it was just made for a rich household and it's uh it's actually the only six stop organ by Lucer to survive which is also very interesting but i think it's just interesting how it's so normal yet at the same time it's for rich people and I find that very interesting. So after the Pressler collection is the Cutler collection, which is very cool in my opinion. The Cutler collection is basically the opposite of the Pressler collection. It is it's folk instruments and instruments of the Industrial Revolu Re Revolution. One that caught my eye, because I'm a saxophone player, is... Uh, the bass saxophone, which was one of three bass saxophones made by Adolf Sax, the original creator of the saxophone, and is one of two in a museum. One, the other one is in a museum in Germany, and one is in a private collector's hands. And I just, it's just really interesting to see the groundwork of where Adolf Sax went with his creation of the sax. And Another instrument I found very interesting, mainly because of the story behind it, was uh, this kind of not interesting looking signal horn. It was basically just a trumpet with two valves and four bells, so it had different tones. And it was made by, I'm probably going to butcher this name, Fretz Schneer and Martin in Germany. And the history behind it is... During the 1920s, it was used in German communist choirs. And then, as Hitler started to gain power, it was used in the workers' wing of Hitler's essay by their musicians and singers. And then, after Nazi Germany fell and Germany split into East and West Germany, it was used again in East Germany communistic choirs. And I just think that the history of this simple signal horn is very incredible how it spanned many political different governments and how it just it was in germany through all of that okay that's and that's the uh that's the cutler collection so after leaving the cutler collection you'd go to the lewiston collection which is basically about pianos but solely American pianos. And the one part that really stands out to you as you go through this collection is the Coracello they have, which is a five-part 
acoustic electric piano and it's one of the first of its kinds so if you're looking at it you don't necessarily realize that all parts because they have they display each part separately and you don't necessarily realize that all of them come together to make one instrument and it's just it was created sometime between the 18 between 1889 and 1917 and it's among the first of its kind it's one of the first electric instruments so after the Lewison collection, the next collection would be the Everest collection, which is devoted to music innovation and innovation of instruments. And this is, again, a highlight of the museum. It's amazing some of the pieces they have in this collection. So as you walk through the first in like a in a small display case, they have a very intricate trumpet. And if you don't know the story behind this trumpet, this is the trumpet used in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which was a movie created by the Beatles. And this was the trumpet they used in the band in the movie. As you continue to go through the collection, the next display case you see has this tenor saxophone, and it's painted to look like an American flag. And again, it's really the story that makes this instrument amazing. And this was a saxophone. It was a presidential model. And it was given to Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton, while he was in office as president, and Bill Clinton played on it and re was remarked as saying, this is one of the most beautiful things he's ever seen. Next, on a different display case, are four guitars. And... By each guitar is a little sign with a person's name and a picture of them. And basically, these guitars were just guitars played or signed by famous musicians. A few include Muddy Waters, Bob Dylan, Furry Lewis, and Chet Atkins. So, after you go through the Everest collection, you go back through the Lewising collection, and then on to the Grace collection which is a collection dedicated to American instruments and kind of the history of the concert band. And there are many different styles and kinds of instruments in this collection. A few that stood out to me, one that really stood out to me, was this single string fiddle created by the Mescalero Apache in the 19th century. And it's just this very simple yet beauti beautiful fiddle and I, it's amazing the history it has relating to Native Americans and how it's used in their music and how it came to be in the National Music Museum. Another very cool instrument they have is a B-flat cornet by Antoine Curtoy. And it was made in Paris in 1881. It, this, as stated earlier, the Greece collection was about American instruments, so it's Kind of confusing why it was made in Paris, but it was gifted to the first major American cornet soloist, and he used it as he can as he and he used it as he traveled around the world performing solos. Another interesting instrument in the section is the contrabassophon, which is this weird-looking instrument that looks almost like a bassoon but bigger, and that's because it's almost like a contrabassoon 
it's just lower and gets deeper. And then one of my personal favorites, and it really, I think it really shows the American history part of this collection, is an amazing stovepipe cello. And basically what it is, is it's just this wooden stick with a stovepipe on it and a string going all, all, all across the length of the stovepipe. And it was made during the 20s or 30s, so around the time of the Great Depression. So that is the National Music Museum. I realize it's kind of just a summary of the collections, but the collections are one of the main aspects of what makes it itself and how important it is to the culture of Vermilion. This has been an episode of Vermilion High School Historical Society, a podcast about certain historical elements about Vermilion, South Dakota. I was your host, Andrew Kroneisel, and today with me were Tyler DeValder and Mason Schroeder. Thank you for listening. Thank you.